Hey, Todd Robinson here with uh, Mountain Mike, Montana Mike Anderson here on our new podcast. We're glad you're here with us tonight, and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, being able to work through some issues around addiction. Remember, our, our goal here, our, our focus is, is helping pastors and, and loved ones and neighbors, whoever that might be, for you to minister to folks you know who are struggling with something, whether it's addiction or, or some other stronghold. And, and then our, our, our second focus is to minister to and encourage the addicted, those who are struggling. And then our third goal is to build community around these issues. So I like to remind us of exactly why we're here and why we do what we're doing. The last few weeks we were talking about coping skills and then we were going to move in tonight to some, and we're going to begin this topic with, with, uh, with, uh, um, a word that we would call entitlement. But eventually what we're going to lead into here is we're going to talk about some emotions that we're dealing with or in and around an addiction. And these emotions that we deal with are not just limited to the addicted because we all deal with negative or strong emotions, don't we, Mike? Most definitely. And in the, the world of an addict, there is nothing, no emotion that is not enormous. There is nothing that that those that are that are stuck in addiction that the emotion is not absolutely earth shaking. Whether it be a, I I've fallen in love and this is I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. We're soulmates. It is completely over the top. To the the other end of the spectrum where life is over. There is nothing in this world that could possibly be worth living. I mean, it is just this, every emotion is huge. And this, this idea of entitlement or this feeling or emotion of being entitled to things it is no different. Yeah. You know, if you're a pastor, you've probably been through this scenario. You're sitting in your office on a Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, you're preparing for a message, you're studying, you're taking phone calls, you're counseling, you're, you're, you're in a meeting and, and a person comes to your church off the streets desperately addicted to some type of a substance and they want to talk to you and they want to talk to you immediately. And I've experienced this many times. They're highly emotional, they're broken, uh, they've, they've lost jobs, family, they've lost vehicles. Um, they, they appear to be at rock bottom. Desperation at its peak. I mean, they, they have gotten to the point to where they have burned bridges, that they have friends and loved ones that would have normally been their go-to a lot of times, uh, have turned them away, um, become exhausted with the back and forth, things like this. So we find them in our space, in our area of influence, when, when they're at their wit's end, again, these emotions are extremely high, and they are certain that they need help. And they are very confident exactly and specifically as to what help they need, aren't That's they, right. Todd? Yeah, they want to define the help. A lot of times they'll come to you and they want help, um, but it, it, really they want to define the help and, and, and it's tough to define the help when you're in 
in that position. And so this is kind of where that sense of entitlement comes in because they want to call the shots, but they want you to be there to help them, but in their way. And I, I, years ago, I had a man who used to come up to the church all the time, um, and he would come up and wanting money. He had an old broken-down truck, and he had a dog that he would have with him, and he was, he was an alcoholic, and he would come by here, and he would want me to put gas in his vehicle, give him some money. And the first couple of times, I helped him out, and I, I put gas in his truck. And, uh, but about the third time that he came by, I told him, I said, look, I'm not going to help you anymore until you let me help you overcome this lifestyle and this addiction. Um, and he got very angry with me because all he wanted me to do was just fill up his truck with gas. That's the only help he needed in right. his mind. Right. He felt entitled uh, that I was supposed to put gas in his truck. And when I suggested that, you know, I will continue to help you like this, but you have to meet with me once or twice a week. You have to come to church. You have to show me that you're going to do some things to change. And he would not do that. It'd be, and he got very upset with me because he felt in entitled that I was to help him therefore if I didn't help him I was the bad guy that's right so this idea of entitlement um, and I asked Mike just prior to our coming on the broadcast here I said Mike you know let's define entitlement and I, I had mentioned a couple of things to him and I said if we define the word entitlement entitlement means in a nutshell that I am responsible for nothing um, and yet at the same time, I expect that you owe me everything. And the reason that you owe me is because, because, because I need it. Exactly. The, by Webster definition that I have no responsibility in this, I have no effort in this, and I alluded to the example of a, a, a will and testament of somebody that has passed away, and I am listed as a beneficiary. There's nothing I did to earn this inheritance, right. the, the, what is coming to me, but I am entitled to it. I mean, so by definition, it, it is something that is coming to me by no work or no effort of my own, but now we put this in application to the addict, and they start defining what it is that they're entitled to. Right. So for the pastor or for the parent or for the loved one who's dealing with the addict, understand they're coming to you with a sense of entitlement. It is my way or the highway. Even when I'm coming to you many times and I'm saying, I need help, I want help, it's many times, it's in their mind, it's still help their way. And you have got to be very, very upfront with them that it is not help their way. It is help God's way. And if they're not submitted to that, then you can't help them. No matter how much you want to help them, you can't help them until they are, are, are ready and willing to submit to help that's not their way. And, and like we were discussing just a bit ago, the, unfortunately for the addict, there's a certain level of chemical dependence. And the body has got the addict convinced that their body needs, absolutely needs to sustain life, this chemical that they're addicted to, whether it be alcohol, opiates, methamphetamines, you name it, their body has got them convinced that if it doesn't obtain this chemical, it will cease to exist, it will die. I cannot exist without this. So 
these these emotions are extremely high. They're they're extremely real to the individual. So it, it's extremely difficult yeah. to navigate with them. But like Todd keeps saying is that they don't know what they need because what their body is telling them they need is more heroin. What their body's telling them they need is another fifth of whiskey. I mean, that's what their body's telling them that they need and they have this entitlement to for the for the existence of life. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I, I heard a story earlier today, Mike, and this is this is kind of a funny story, and it's, and it's not entitlement on the level of a drug addiction, um, but this man told this story earlier today of a, of a, uh, of a, uh, uh, about his wife, who is a human resources director, a human resource director at a large company, and she said, and they were interviewing people for a position there, and it was supposed to be a 40-minute interview for this position. And they came in for the interview, and after 20 minutes of the interview, the man looked at the person who he was interviewing for the job and said, you know, Joe, I think we're done with this interview. He goes, I really appreciate you coming in. He said, but I just, I don't think that you're the right fit for the job, and I don't want to waste any more of your time. And the, and the young man looked back at him, and he said, well, wait a minute. Um, I thought this was supposed to be a 40-minute interview. Why are you only giving me half the time? And the, the man doing the interview, uh, doing the interviewing of the candidate said, well, Joe, he goes, let me just be right honest with you and right up front with you and be candid with you. He said, the whole time we've been having this interview, you've been on your phone texting somebody. He said, you'll, you'll talk to me for a minute, then you're texting. He said, and he, he said, you're not, I don't think you're really interested in this job. He goes, oh, no, no. He said, I am very interested in this job. He goes, I come with the highest qualifications and I have some great recommendations. And the person doing the interviewing saying, you know, you, you might be. He said, but um, it's your attitude is one that's, you don't, you don't care. And he said, well, well, I deserved a 40-minute interview. And he said, well, I don't think so. Um, let's, let's move you on your way. And, they, yeah. and he ended the interview. Later on that day, the human resources director gets a phone call not from the young man, but from the young man's mom. Oh, goodness. Stating that she, that they just didn't understand what they were giving up in Joe by not giving him <laughs> the job, and that he's a talented young man, and he's a good boy, and, and, and he deserves this job. And it, sometimes we breed entitlement in our uh, loved ones. I was going to say, there, there's no question as to where Joe got this sense of entitlement from, is there? Right. And... And we breed this into our, our children. How many times have I heard this, Mike? How many times have I heard there's a man trying to get into our Next Step program? And we talk to the mom on the phone or something. And, and the mom, now, granted, you know, this young man has been in and out of jail, in and out of prison, usually for the last 10 to 15 years of his life. And the mom will get on the phone with us and she'll go, but he's such a good boy. He's just a good boy. He just needs somebody to give him a chance. And that's where we are sometimes as parents, is we don't mean to en entitle them and enable them, but we do. And, and, and that's, a, that's a painful road to go down, to, as a parent, give an honest evaluation as to how our codependencies 
may have created a very narcissistic, entitled yes. individual that thinks that the world revolves around them, that thinks that they are owed everything and, and really don't have to put any effort into it because they've managed to emotionally manipulate the situation most times. I was watching a movie the other night and it was a, an adult child who was an alcoholic had come home to mom's house with her four kids once again and mom was obviously, grandma was obviously distraught about her daughter in such, this, in such a situation and, and several days went by and several days went by and finally, as I would expect, the things escalated, daughter's alcohol usage grew and, and mom's frustrations grew and, and to the point of finally, mom says, you, you need to be, get gone, you can't stay here anymore. And the daughter looks at her mother and says, I've always known it, mom, you just wished I was never born. And immediately, mom reaches out her ar arms, bursts into tears and embraces her daughter, says, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, I love you, you can stay, you can stay. And, and that's the type of emotional manipulation yeah. with these extremely codependent parents that breeds this sense of entitlement and the ability to maneuver and manipulate their way to get what they believe that they are owed with very little effort. Yes, uh, I, and I call it the, um, uh, the the 35-year-old who's in the 15-year-old mind. Exactly. Um, it's, the, uh, it's that mentality. We have 35-year-old men and women who are still 15 um, in, their, in their maturity. And, and, and what's a child do? A child, a child manipulates and a child has a sense of entitlement. He, he or she does when they're young. They, they believe they deserve everything. And, and at the end of the day, let's be clear, you and I deserve nothing. We don't deserve anything. So let's get into Mike here with that in mind. So if entitlement is, def is defined as I'm responsible for nothing, and secondly, you owe me everything. My heart's desire. Because, and when we ask the reason, well, why do I owe you? And usually the answer is because I deserve it. I need it. Yeah, well, well, why do you deserve it? Be because uh, I'm a human being. I I'm your child. I'm your, I'm your husband. I'm your wife. I'm your nephew. I'm your niece. I'm your uncle. Therefore, I deserve it. And hogwash. You don't deserve anything. And that oftentimes is the, the route that they take. It's not so much as to why they are owed it, but it is more so why it is you that is responsible for giving it to me. The, the mother or the father, you gave me life. It's your responsibility to make sure that I am brought through this life and you haven't met any of these needs in the past and it's your job to do this. Or you've got the pastor, you're a man of God. I'm one of God's children. You're supposed to take care of me. You're supposed to see to it that I've got food and shelter. And when that's not what they're looking for in the first place. Yeah. But still, that emotional manipulation, and like I said, it has much less to do with why they're owed it, but more so due to why you owe it to them. That's right. Yeah. It's why do you owe them something or uh, whatever it is that they, they think they need. So when that person comes to you 
off the streets from your congregation and they're looking for help, air quotes, they're yeah. looking for help, we've got to be very, very careful as to how they're defining help and they will and they're master manipulators the addict is a they've been doing it a long time and in doing that a long time they're going to fool you almost every single time I I say all the time if I'm not fooled once a day at least I'm not doing my job (laughs) because you've quit (laughs) right right it's 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 just the nature of the game And, and it causes you to put your guard up so yeah. many times. It does. It causes you to put your guard up because of the sense of entitlement comes the manipulation um, to get the things that, that this person who's struggling with an addiction thinks they need, and they're going to get it out of you. And believe me, you're, the, you're not the first in line that they've gone to. It's been many, 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 many people that they've gone through to get to you, uh, to coming to you for help. How many people have called me for help? And I say, you've got to do X, Y, and Z, and I never hear from them again. Because, right. because what you're asking them to do is what they really need to do for help. And at that point, you won't, you either you won't hear from them anymore. That's 90% of the time. 10% of the time, you will. And you're thinking, okay, this person is finally at a point to where they really do want help. Most definitely. So what's, what's the, if entitlement is I'm responsible for nothing and you owe me because, um, what is what is the cure? What's the cure, Mike, for for uh, for entitlement? Well, first and foremost, if entitlement is I'm responsible for nothing, the cure for entitlement has to be an identify identification of what exactly I am responsible for. And in this, I. I'm really quick to start weighing on the scales of life the efforts that I have put in against the efforts of, say, a coworker. And so if I start weighing these scales out, I determine within myself that I have exceeded my responsibility and my coworker is not owning up to their responsibility, so I'm entitled to maybe slack off a little bit. There you go. Yeah. They they're in I'm entitled for them to take up their responsibility and, and I get this this attitude of justifying letting my responsibility slide just because somebody else isn't holding up their end of the deal. Hey, Jesus really put to bed this idea of entitlement when he told uh, when he was teaching the disciples and he says when the Roman soldier asked you to go one mile, they had to carry the Roman soldier's equipment for one mile. Jesus said, "What? You take it two. Take it two. Boy, he shut that. He shut that down. I'm entitled to complain about this. I'm, you know, I shouldn't be. They shouldn't be making me do this, and I have to carry this Roman soldier's, and I don't get paid for it." And Jesus said, "Hmm, really? Why don't you carry it two then?" He asked for your cloak. Give him your tunic too. That's right. Jesus shut down this idea of entitlement. You and I are entitled to nothing. The, 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 the rich don't owe us anything. Our parents don't owe us anything. Uh, the church doesn't owe us anything. 
It, it does even even in helping the poor, the Bible is very clear that 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 if a person is capable of helping themselves, that the church has no responsibility in helping the poor. The specific poor that the Bible really gets to are widows and orphans who are incapable of helping themselves because of their age and because of their inability to earn a wage. And enlisted very clearly that there's strict criteria as to what a widow indeed right. is. Yep. If they're capable of working, they are responsible to work. There is no entitlement. The Bible does not support this idea of entitlement at any any stage. It supports the idea of responsibility. That's right. Of responsibility. So the first cure for our entitlement attitude is is responsibility. The addict is responsible for his recovery. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26 kind of lay out a pattern for this and it tells us that our responsibility on the help in the addict is to teach them, to love them, to not quarrel with them, to be patient with them. Mm -hmm. But it never says that we are to enable them or provide them with things. It doesn't say that. It says that responsibility is between the addict and God. Our job is just to help push that along. That's it. We're not responsible for their success and we're not responsible for their failure. And if you were with us during some of our last previous podcasts about coping skills, we discussed how owning responsibility really is healthy for an individual. Yeah. And 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 providing for one's basic needs. It, when when we start succumbing to this entitlement and this uh, leech mentality that we're just constantly living off of the efforts of others that quite honestly biblically speaking we should feel pretty crummy about ourselves because we're not doing what God called us to do we're not doing what God commands us to do if a man wants to eat he should work that's right and so if we're going to remove this sense of entitlement the the best thing you can do is, even if it's a, a small afternoon job, cutting some grass, raking some leaves, you know what? Try and put the individual to work, to take some ownership in what they're trying to get and, and start with that. There you go. Because they've got to have some responsibility. They've got to have some skin in it. And it it is biblical. It does the heart, the mind, and the body all so much good to know that you have worked for this, that I've done something for this. That's a good point, Mike. You know, there's been several men over the years that we've helped. And I remember specifically when I first started in this ministry helping men, and they came to me and they, they, were, they were in a lot of trouble, um, but they didn't have any responsibilities. And I gave them some responsibilities, even if it was uh, just volunteer work. And the next thing I know, these men are coming up to the church every day helping the cleaning crew clean the church. They have skills, they're doing maintenance, and they're volunteering. They loved it because all of a sudden they were getting a sense of responsibility. And then, you know what happened? When people saw them here, all of a sudden people wanted to help them. That's right. You know, they no longer felt like they were being manipulated by this person. That's right. They now saw this person was being responsible, and they stepped in to help meet the needs that these men 
these men had. And so, then God takes care of the provision. That's right. When we do our part, God is faithful to do his part every time. So, so responsibility is is part of the cure for uh, for for our entitlement. Uh, and I put down here the second uh, piece of the cure here is that if we're not willing to take responsibility, God's going to bring some trials into your life to wake you up. And specifically, I think about David, King David, when he was uh, confronted by Nathan over his affair, his adulterous affair with, uh, with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband Uriah. And as, he's, as, as Nathan is confronting him, Nathan tells him this um, in verse 7 of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David, you're guilty of adultery, of murder, of all of those things. I anointed you king. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. And I thought to myself, look at all these things that God had given David. And what was David's prior to this? It says that David was supposed to have been in battle with his men, and he wasn't. And I tell you, the, the months leading up to my, my life coming apart at the seams, that I can't tell you how many times, Todd, I found myself beating my chest as to all the things that I had accomplished mm. and all the things that I was paying for and all the things that, that I was doing, the success I was seeing in my job, the, the men that I was leading, all of these things that I was so, so self-centered and had that entitlement attitude of all of this hard work I was putting in. I should be seeing success. I should be seeing growth. And, and that's really... A, a dangerous, dangerous place to be when all that I can think about is myself. What I deserve. Exactly. And that's where David was. David was in the I deserve attitude so much to the point that he was ignoring his responsibilities as the king. He was not in battle with his men as he should have been. He's sleeping with the wives of his men while they're out fighting. He's abusing his authority. He's abusing his power. And God has been blessing him greatly, and he was entitled. He felt he was entitled to this because of who he was and what he had done. And how God corrected that was through severe trials in his life, the it, loss of his children. Extreme pressure. When, when I decide that I'm the center of my universe, it, it, we were doing a study in, in Romans chapter 1 this past week at the men's home, and it discussed on how, you know what, God will hand you over to the desires of your heart. That which you prefer, if you are going to thumb your nose, if I, Mike Anderson, am going to thumb my nose at God, he, he will sadly say, mm. all right, Mike, you, you can have what you want. 
I remember a good friend of mine coming through the program when I was in it. He'd always say, he going to give you what you want, Mike. <laughs> he going to give you what you want. And, and, and that's, there's nothing further. That is the truth, is that God will give you exactly what you want. And if I choose to be the center of my universe, he will show me exactly mm. what my universe looks like with me in control. And it is not pretty. It, it's a very dangerous place to be. It is not pretty, you know. So the first, first cure is responsibility. The second part of this cure, if you refuse to take responsibility, is going to be God's going to come in, and and He's going to, he, He's going to bring some hard times. He brought some hard times to David, and he had to wake David up. And we have got to be woken up from this entitlement attitude. And folks, it it's everywhere. The world today, you you deserve X. You deserve why you've done this. You've worked hard. Now, we should work hard, but at the end of the day, we are we have to make sure that we are responsible, that we don't deserve anything, that we are that we are working hard and expecting God to provide and then giving him the glory right. for it. That's right. We have to we can't do anything without him. I can't I can't I can't get up in the morning I don't do anything in the morning when I get up to start my breath or get the blood's flowing through my my veins. It's already happening because God is doing it. And we have to acknowledge that. And until we acknowledge that we we deserve nothing, we're going to struggle with this entitlement attitude. And at the bottom line, if I, if I could kind of put this in a nutshell, you, you better be ready and I better be ready to do life hard. Yes. And, and, and that's the paradox there is that we have to pick our hard. We say that a lot at the men's home. We, you, yes, it is hard, but so was life before. That's right. You have to choose which hard you're going to tackle because either we are the center of our universe and God in his holiness cannot dwell with darkness and you get handed over into that which you prefer, into my own depravity, that, I promise you, friends, is much yeah. harder than the, the, the little bit of effort that God asks of us so that he can bless us exceedingly abundantly, more right. than we can think or imagine. You know, if I do life hard my way, um, I'm excluding God, and the only results I get are my results. Yeah. <laughs> if I do life hard God's way, Either way, you're going to do life hard. That's right. If I do life hard God's way, well, my partner is God. Yeah. And he is going to provide, like Mike said, exceedingly abundantly more than we could think or ask. I love what Leviticus says. Leviticus told, uh, God told uh, Israel in Leviticus, he said, if you're obedient to me, he said, when you chase, uh, when, what do you say? He said, with one, you'll be able to defeat 10. With 10, you'll be able to, to, to defeat 100. Mm -hmm. With 100, you'll be able to de defeat 1,000. Yeah. When God's involved in our, and we're obedient to him, uh, obviously what God's saying is there's going to be battles. But when there's battles and you're obedient to God, man, the odds just are on your side tremendously. Yeah. But when the, he also says the opposite. He says, when you're disobedient to him, 
then the things that are, uh, are, are, are hurting you are going to hurt you much worse than you ever would have thought. Yeah, and ultimately in my life, it, it comes down to the responsibility and ownership of my part in this day-to-day thing that we call life. And I was brought to Luke chapter 7 today um, when they, they tell the story of the, the sinful woman who's forgiven and she brings her alabaster jar and she sits at the feet of Jesus and weeps and weeps, brutally weeping and, and washes his feet with her tears. And paraphrasing here, of course, but the, the gist of this is is that Jesus says this, this woman, she understands what she has been forgiven, therefore she loves much. Just prior to this, in this story, they, they talk about the who's gonna t- gonna love the master more, one that's forgiven a million dollars or one that's forgiven a debt of a hundred dollars. Mm. That, that's what we're getting at here is that when I understand and I acknowledge my dire need for Jesus Christ in my life, I can't have any sense of entitlement. No, that, that's right. Yeah, because when I, when I understand and acknowledge and uh, and just appreciate that, you said it earlier, Mike. My I only have a relationship with Jesus Christ is because I'm a sinner. That's right. I mean, the only reason that we have a relationship with God is because we're wicked. Yeah. The only the only thing I brought to this relationship was a bucket of filthy rags. Yeah. That is the only reason that I can enter into this relationship with Jesus. You discussed the rich young ruler and and how he, he came there with all of this self-righteousness but never gained a relationship with Christ, would never know what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Walked away disappointed. Yeah. Walked away shaking his head because his God was himself. Though he said, I've kept all the, I've kept all the commandments, Jesus. I'm, look at me. And yet, when Jesus confronted him to his face about his God, which was his money, he had, a, he had an attitude of entitlement. That's right. He felt he deserved something because of what he had done and who he was. He had done something to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's right. And, and when I have a, the, the true understanding of where my inheritance comes from, it had nothing to do with me. And it had everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross for me so that I could enter into that relationship. And bringing this full circle, all of you pastors that have these encounters with these individuals that are in dire straits, their life is in shambles. I mean, we don't deny that whatsoever. But you ultimately know their most important need is Jesus. And they have to come to the realization of what that relationship means before that they can have any sense of responsibility with anything else in life. And until that is settled, the, the, the rest of it will never be settled. That's right, yeah. Because in their minds, their need is everything else. And the need, the solution is so simple, yet so counterintuitive so many times to the person who's struggling with the addiction. Th- their need is Christ. And their need is the gospel. 
and their need is then after they get saved to grow and to have those responsibilities and to experience those trials. We're all going to have trials. Yeah. Even even if we think that we're being responsible, God is still going to send because in God's eyes, he knows that we're still in need of so much more. Yeah, steel is not tempered unless it's raked through the coals and beat with a hammer. <laughs> and, and that's exactly how I've found him tempering me is raking me through the coals and beating me with a hammer sometimes. But it, it does refine us. I was in James chapter 1 this morning, and it was talking about, you know, right there in the, in the first few verses of James chapter 1, trials. And, uh, and, I, and I, as I was reading, I said to myself, trials are the way God invests in us. It's the way he grows mm. our value, That's good. if we could say that. It's the way that he, he, he gets more out of us is those trials, and he makes us more valuable. I hate to use that word. We're valuable to him through salvation, through the Holy Spirit. We're, but in terms of our character, and in terms of our growth, and in terms of that sanctification process and what he can get out of us in this world, it's the trials that grow us, and we always need them because we're always in danger. Let's be honest. In our churches, we have entitlement attitudes so many times. We do. Um, we get comfortable in our churches today, especially in the United States of America. We have to be careful as Christians. We may not be addicted to drugs and alcohol, um, but there's other things we're struggling with, and we Don't all you dare take the hymnal out of my pew. Yep, we're, we're entitled to we're entitled to a, a section of the church. We're entitled to uh, our our classroom. We're entitled to uh, our pastor. We're entitled yeah. to at every at, at the beck and call. Right, he's my pastor. He needs to answer my call when I call him. That's right. We all have this sense of entitlement, and we need to be servants. Uh, rather than being served all the time, and so and, and and getting that heart of Christ, it, it will will remedy all of this. The, I identify my responsibility and the fact that I bring nothing to the table, and entering into this relationship with Christ, I am given the treasures of heaven, the every spiritual blessing that has from heaven that has been given to me and then I can then walk in the spirit and pursue this life that he had set out before me before the foundations of the universe hmm. so that he might get the glory and others might come to know him and be glorified in that and with that said Mike you know I, I, I don't want to fail to do this if you don't know, if you're listening now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand that we are all sinners. Romans chapter 3 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's not one of us that seeks after God on our own. God is pursuing us in and of ourselves. We are so selfish and so entitled that we, we, we don't even seek after God. God has to chase us down, and he continually woos us and calls us to him. So God has provided a way to us because the way to him, because the, he says the wages of sin is death. But, but the, the gift, gift of God, God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's the gift. We don't deserve it. We, so we have this idea in our minds that we need things that we don't deserve, but yet God does give us what we do need that we don't deserve, doesn't he, Mike? That's right. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, 
And it says, and, and the Bible continues on, he says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's right. And if you have it, if there's one thing, if you want to be entitled to something, be entitled to salvation because that's what we need and that's what Christ has offered through his shed blood on the Christ on the cross of Calvary. And he paid that price for us. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. And that's the love of God. It's not all these other things that we think we need. That's and right. until we come to that realization, nothing else is going to work. And, and you can do that wherever you're sitting at this very moment. You can admit that you're a sinner and believe in your heart that Christ died for you on the cross and that he rose again from the dead for your sins. Amen. And enter into this life with Jesus. And, and it won't be without trials. That don't get that, but it will be much more gratifying to walk with Christ and have purpose and, and know that you have a God in heaven that loves you. Yeah. It, right now, sitting right where you are, right where you are, if you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to pray with me. And then after you pray this prayer, this prayer doesn't save you, it's entering into the relationship with Jesus Christ that saves you, you need to go find a pastor at a local church and get with that pastor and say, I just got saved, I need your help. So here we go. Father, I'm a sinner. I know it. I've blown it. And I need you right now. I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't do anything about it. Therefore, I repent of my sin and I give my life and my heart to you. I understand that your shed blood on the cross was for my salvation. It paid the price. It paid the debt. It paid the penalty for my sin. You have redeemed me. You have bought me. You have bought me out of the hands of hell and bought me so I could live with you in heaven for eternity and at the same time to live on earth for you and find victory. Father, I receive you in my heart tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I need you to get with a pastor. Go find somebody that you can talk to about this that knows what they're talking about, not anybody off the street, and go talk to them and get with them. Thank you so much for being here today with us. I hope this has been a help to you. We'll be back next week. We're going to jump into some more emotional topics next week. Bitterness, anger, some of those things, Mike, that we'll address and uh, uh, we'll continue on this topic of dealing with these emotions. All right. Thanks a bunch, y'all. Y'all have, have a great, great night. One.